Welcome to Highly Unlikely. I'm Jonathan Flannis. In this show, we share with you the most shocking stories you've never heard. Today's story is part two of Heroin and the Jewish White Supremacist. If you're listening for the first time, check out episode one. However, if you've heard the story of Chantel, Cousin Meth, and the suitcase, you're in the right place. You're listening to Highly Unlikely. Enjoy. Join me here. Won't you be seated, please, ladies and gentlemen? Come on, Dr. Jaffe. America's public enemy number one is drug abuse. In order to fight and defeat this enemy, it is necessary to wage a new all out offensive. I have asked the Congress to provide the legislature. I get angry just thinking about it, it makes me mad. Little kids doing drugs, it turns my stomach. That stuff hurts. It stops you from living up to your potential, it holds you back. There's something out there. Illegal drugs are everywhere. Cocaine coaxes you in, and then when you least expect... Kit, I really want to let kids know that illegal drugs are bad news. Yes, David, it's true. Over... Um, I had no intention of ever smoking crack. We pick up with Jared, free of the suitcase, and back on the streets. After a few years back and forth between Florida, New York City, and Los Angeles trying to get clean, to no avail, I found myself once again on Skid Row in about 2015. Things were a little bit different this time. This time I didn't have a tent. Wasn't living that posh Skid Row lifestyle anymore. By now I had been smoking crack, so, so my second love of my life is crack cocaine. Crack cocaine is something that no one really wants to try. I mean, it's a pretty, for our generation, we saw the D.A.R.E. commercials and we saw the PSAs and crack is whack and all that. You know, you find yourself on Skid Row and you've cro- you crossed so many boundaries, you know, what's, what's another boundary basically? And someone offers you a hit of crack and you, you hit it and you don't really know how to smoke it at first. So it doesn't get you high. And, oh, I guess it's just, you know, it's not that big of a deal. And then a few months go by and then you try crack again and, you know, somehow you, you're 31 years old. <laughs> you've just smoked a, you know, you've smoked a lot of crack. I mean, it's so pleasurable that when you smoke it, you can't even hear anything. I mean, you're literally, your hearing goes out and you just hear like a ming. When you smoke crack, you literally hear a little ringing in your ears. This sound is called the crack bells. Yes, the crack bells ring and uh, boy, you feel good, you know. Uh, meth is fun, obviously, and you get paranoid on meth, but on meth, you get paranoid about your friends trying to kill you. You think your neighbor's talking about you. You think, you know, the guy over there is giving you a we- weird stare. Crack, you get cocaine also. You get extremely paranoid as well, but it's a completely different form of paranoia. You get paranoid about the police. It's strictly the authorities. You know, you take a hit, you think every, you tell yourself, I'm going to smoke this crack. I'm going to take this hit. I'm not going to think that the FBI is after me. Jared, the FBI is not after, you're a crackhead. You, you smell like garbage. No one's after you. You have $3 in your pocket. The FBI is not, there's not an open case. You take that hit of crack and that all that logic goes out the window and you are James Bond. You're James, you're James Bond hiding behind trash cans and stepping in puddles of urine trying to get away from the, from the invisible Bureau of Investigations. I mean, it's just... It's unbelievable, and you tell yourself, every, and then it and then it fades away. You know, crack lasts about ten minutes. It's just an adventure. I mean, you really think 
Meth, meth is like, you know, you hallucinate demons and all kinds of scary stuff, but crack is like, you know, I'm solving a case, the, you know, I'm, I'm, J I'm uh, Jason Bourne, like they're after my identity, you know, meanwhile, you're just, you're 110 pounds screaming on Skid Row with your shirt off and open sores all over your body and, and uh, you know, you're not Matt Damon. But, but in your head, I mean, it's just, it's an adventure in a, in a rock. That's all it is. It's a little rock. It gives you an entire adventure, 10 minute event. It's like a mini adventure. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a webisode as opposed to meth, which is like a three day marathon of nonsense. And the reason why I started smoking crack is because I had to quit meth because I just would get so psychotic on meth that every time I touched the stuff, I would just go to jail. I just ended up doing very stupid things. And I basically spent the entirety of 2015 on Skid Row. Uh, doing heroin, smoking crack, every single day waking up and going and shoplifting from various drugstores and retail stores, stealing mostly makeup became my, uh, you know, I was a jack of all trades, but makeup was my specialty. I'd steal, you know, $1,000 worth of makeup and sell it for $120 to a, a fence, you know, someone that bought stolen goods downtown. So Jared would steal stuff for stores that knew he was going to steal it, but wanted it for cheap. So they'd basically hire him to steal it. And, you know, he'd, we had a good rapport and he'd give me a list of what he really needed. And he'd front me $200 sometimes in the morning. And, you know, it was a business. And I made about $300 a day. $300 cash is a lot more than what most Americans make a day. And uh, I went to sleep every single night broke. Once in a while, I'd get a, you know, a crazy little inkling to do a little bit of meth or somebody would offer me some and I'd do it and I'd go to jail. I think on December 26th of 2015, someone gave me a little hit of meth. I, you know, we, we smoked a bowl of meth and uh, I got weird. Didn't eat for, you know, about 20 hours. And the time came when I started to get hungry. So I went to the library downtown and in downtown Los Angeles, there's a large library with a food court. And in that food court, there's a Panda Express. And uh, that's kind of like my secret, secret little hub to get, you know, little snacks. I, I would go and look for orange chicken in the garbage can. I go there, I see a nice uh, member, you know, a, a contributing member of society eating a plate of orange chicken. And she gets up and leaves her tray at the table and there's, you know, a few little gristles. And uh, I'm actually on the phone, I have an Obama phone. I, I have multiple Obama phones, but uh, it's funny because the, the poorer you are, the more phones you have. I don't know how that works, but uh, if you see someone with three phones, they're probably homeless. I'm on my Obama phone, I, I, like an eagle, I, you know, I eye out the leftover orange chicken, I walk over there, I start nibbling at the orange chicken, and next thing I know, someone sucker punches me in the face. And I drop my cell phone. To Jared's surprise, he knew the guy that punched him. It's a fellow crackhead. He, he was perched up looking for orange chicken as well, I guess. He thought that since he had perched up before me, that was his orange chicken. I was on the phone. I was making an important homeless phone call. You know, I, I wasn't aware of other other crackheads in the, in the vicinity. He, he felt it was right to sucker punch me. I dropped the phone. You know, he screams at me, says, that's my orange chicken. You, I, I paid for that. You got to pay me money. And I say, bro, I've, I, I've seen you. I've seen you smoke crack. You didn't pay for any orange chicken. I know what you're doing. It's cool. I'm doing the same thing. It's all good. And uh, he grabs the, the Obama phone. He grabs it and he says, I'm not giving this phone back until you pay for my orange chicken. And I, you know, I'm like, do you have a receipt, man? Like, I just, I know you didn't pay for this orange chicken. You are, you are pushing a, shop can, uh, a, sh a shopping cart in Panda Express. 
by now the staff is getting all crazy. They're on the phone. It's it's in a library, mind you. So things are getting heated. He has my phone in his hand. I'm not trying to get robbed. I have a knife on me. You know, I've never stabbed anybody, but I figured, you know, this was the appropriate time to do it. So I took my knife out. When you purchase a knife, there's no like manual on how to stab somebody or how to really handle this kind of situation. So you take it out and you kind of freeze because you don't want to push a sharp blade into someone's flesh. I mean, it's just not a, it's scary. You know, you don't want to do that to somebody. And he was like, what are you going to do? Stab me over orange chicken? You know, and he's got my phone in his hand. And I said, well, I, you know, I've committed now. And I just, I just lunged at him with the knife and he darted out of the way. You know, I didn't make contact with him. And that point, the library security had both of us and they handcuffed us. And I thought I was like the law abiding citizen. You know, I, I got punched in the face and I was just defending myself which, you know, maybe in certain states that's legal, but apparently in California, you can't attempt to stab somebody over punching you. You know, you, it's, uh, it's not self-defense. I tried to explain that, but they didn't really, uh, I had multiple crack pipes in my pockets when they searched me, so they weren't exactly honoring my, uh, my law knowledge. I was a, just a street crackhead who tried to stab another crackhead over a plate of fast food, Chinese food. They charged me with assault with a deadly weapon. Now, now it's not, it's not fun and games. I mean, I, this is a real charge. This is a violent felony. If I get convicted, I will go to prison. But then again, you know, I, I'd been homeless on Skid Row for just almost a year. Just like, you know, just a bag of bones. Almost immediately, the cops show up. Away they took me. I was much more scared of kicking heroin, the physical withdrawal of heroin. I, I had been strung out for, you know, nine, ten months at that point, and uh, I was going to have a heavy kick. I, I knew that I was going to have a really heavy kick. As a heroin addict, your whole life is geared towards not having to go into withdrawal, let alone in jail. And it was hell, you know, they put me in a, in a single man cell in the 2200 block of Men's Central Jail in downtown Los Angeles, and I, I had my own cell for, I think, 12 days, I just, you know, diarrhea, throwing up, screaming, sweating, no, no sleep. Uh, at one point, there was a Mexican Southsider in the cell next to me named Solo, and Solo had a big abscess on his arm. He had such a bad abscess that they actually took him to the medical ward and they, and they prescribed him Norcos. And he saw how sick I was, so one time when he was coming back from getting his Norco, he cheeked the, the Norco. Cheeking a drug means pretending to swallow it in front of the cops, but actually storing it somewhere else. I did get a little bit of sleep after I took that Norco, but um, they came to my cell and they transferred me to the school dorm 5300 on the fifth floor of Men's Central Jail because I had requested it because, I, you know, the single man cell is hell. I mean, you're kicking heroin, you're hallucinating, you're not sleeping and all you you don't see anybody. There's no books. There's a Spanish newspaper. That's I read a Spanish newspaper 16 times. You know, the only thing that really combats kicking sometimes is like being propped up by others in a social atmosphere. So they, they took me they took me to 5300. It's it's a zoo. I mean, it's it's a you know thousand pound door, and they open it up, and all it is is just a hundred guys screaming and running around, and there's the TVs blasting, and people are slamming dominoes, people are playing cards, people are screaming, people you know throwing gang signs and. and and uh, marching around, running around, working out, doing burpees, doing pull-ups, doing push-ups, sweating, cooking food with the ramen. and It's the scariest room you could probably walk into. 
it's cramped. I mean, it's the size of a smaller than a basketball court, and a hundred men live in that room. Uh, it doesn't smell great. It's bleak. The lights are god awful. Hundred guys, fifty bunk beds, six chairs, two card tables, one pull up bar. That's that's the only thing that's in the in the whole place. You know, the white the, the big white guy comes up to me and he's like, you know, he says, "Are you a wood?" A wood is short for Peckerwood, the white prison gang. It's not exactly the Nazis or the neo-Nazis. It's not uh, skinheads or anything, but it's, it is a white, it's like diet Nazi. It's like, I'm white, but I'm not like super racist. You know, I don't, I, I'm not into the whole camps and all that. I just, and that's what you have to do. You know, if you're, if you're a 40 year old dad who got a DUI and you live in the suburbs and you're an accountant, you're a Peckerwood when you go to jail. I mean, there's no, you don't really have a choice. Now, if you're hardcore, you can join the skinheads, but most people just join the Peckerwoods. He's a known uh, insane Peckerwood syndicate gang member. That's what Portland police say. It's a white supremacist, uh, prison-based gang. Yeah, I told him, you know, I'm white, I'm a wood. What's what's going on? Where, where's the where's the rep? The rep is basically the highest-ranking guy of your racial group. Yeah, the rep is like the is like your little president. It's like he's the white president in the in the dorm of a hundred people. You go in. There's about I'd say 50 of them are Mexican, 30 of them are black, and maybe 20 of them are white. So, you know, if every bed's full, that's pretty much the, the demographic. Uh, maybe th there's a few Asians. There's three Asians sometimes. And the Asians run with the blacks. I don't know. I didn't make the rules. That's, you know, those are the rules. You know, if you're Asian in L.A. County Jail, you're, you're technically black. Uh, you're only allowed to share food with the blacks. Um, you can only gamble with the blacks, play cards with them, things like that. The rules are very specific. If you're white, you're a Peckerwood, but the Peckerwoods and the Southsiders, which are the Mexicans, have a some kind of alliance. You know, you're allowed to share food with the Mexicans. You're allowed to play cards with the Mexicans. Uh, you have to be respectful of them. They are still their own entity, and the whites are their own entity. And what it really comes down to is, I think it's an old sort of deal based on crystal meth. You know, the bikers used to make the crystal meth and I guess they had a, it's an old arrangement. And obviously now crystal meth is made in Mexico. I don't really know what the white people don't really have a purpose anymore in that world. But uh, I guess some of those old ties still, still stand. Uh, but what, what it really is, 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 you know, the whites kind of act like they're a real thing in there, but they're really just protected by the Mexicans. I mean, the Mexicans are on the show. The Mexicans are in charge of everything. The Mexicans set the rules. I would say are more in charge than the actual sheriffs. I mean, they really, they design that the way that that place runs. Yeah, you know, if, if you're just like a regular Mexican guy, you know, you're not in a street gang, you're just a normal person on the streets. When you go in there, it, your race, it, it's based on your race. So you're known as a resident under the umbrella of the Southsiders. If you were born in Mexico or another Latin American country, you're known as a Paisa. And that is also another, you know, subgroup under the umbrella of the Southsiders. And uh, like I said, they are, they run everything. If you are black, you are under that umbrella. They call you the brothers and the others. The others are the Asians. So it's just a, it's a motley crew of people over there. And then if you're white, you know, whether you're a stockbroker or, you know, you have a swastika tattooed on your forehead, you're just, a, you're in one group. You're the whites. And uh, the whites obviously have the least amount of power because they have the least amount of people. It's, it's kind of like the, the opposite of life. <laughs> it's uh, Another funny thing is like a lot of 
white people get arrested and maybe they're white people that come from wealthy families or well-off families and their families will send them zero dollars while they're in there because they're disappointed or whatever. So the whites are the poorest in jail. Jared fit in no category when he arrived in jail. He was neither a hardened criminal nor a rich kid with a fancy lawyer. You know, he kind of welcomes me in and he introduces me to the rep. First, he introduces me to a black guy and says, this is our rep. And the, and the black guy says, says, hey, my name's Charles. You know, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the wood rep. And then they both start cracking up and they're like, yeah, we have fun in here, you know? So it's, it's kind of like this laid back vibe, you know? It's such a weird fucking world. I, it's so hard to describe because it's the way I just described it, it sounds so racist and segregated, but no one really like knows why that's going. I mean, it's going on from old kind of old rules of prison and everything. But in the end, it's like, we're all in jail together. And we're all just kind of trying to have fun and make the best of it. You know, it was a school dorm, which is a little bit more relaxed. That means that we go to go to classes during the day. Jared's two classes were anger management and substance abuse. Uh, a lot of people, as you could imagine, aren't exactly scholars that wind up in L.A. County Jail. So uh, you can actually get credits. You can get high school credits and stuff. Yeah, so I'm kind of thrown into this, the white crew. My rep is insane. I mean, he's just, he's one of the, he's just a scary, he's not, you know, he's 5'10". 210 pounds, not, not the biggest guy ever, but, you know, covered in prison tattoos. He's got a crazy eye. He's, he's going hundred miles an hour. He's got some form of Tourette's where he's, he, he's like playing snare drum on his pec all the time. He, he's, he's one of the craziest people I've ever met. Yeah. And he's in charge of me. So that, that's great. You know, you got to hand over your paperwork. They check out who you are. What's your name? What'd you get arrested for? Make sure you're not like a child molester or something like that. They look at my paper, they see, okay, arrested as assault with a deadly weapon, uh, named Jared Clickstein. John John says, hey, uh, Clickstein, eh? Clickstein, for those that don't know, sounds kind of Jewish. It's kind of, it's not, it's not Silverberg, but it's, you know, it's up there. But it could be pulled off. I, I kind of was like, it's Clickstein, it's Kliegenstein, and uh, tried to German it up, you know, and, and John John said, all right, we got a purebred on our hands and <laughs> flying that, you know, I was German. I just kind of went with it. Yeah, you know. As you can imagine, Jews aren't really well liked. I get at some point, you know, my family was in Germany. I'm probably wearing a Jewish star on their on their shirt, <laughs> but from Germany nonetheless. I just kind of, you know, tried to shoo that under the rug. I didn't really know how, know how it worked. I thought, you know, I, if I tell them I'm Jewish, they're going to stab me or do something, you know. So I, I was actually extremely frightened about that. I, I was frightened that they were going to find out. Now, uh, I, I'm half Jewish by blood. My father's Jewish. My mother's Irish. I don't look Jewish. And, you know, I I don't look like Jeff Goldblum. You know, I, it's you know, if you look like Jeff Goldblum <laughs> and you go in there and try to say you're German, you're probably going to have problems. So yeah, I just kind of go with that. And and I go in there assuming that everything's like super racist, you know, like, oh, you got to be racist. You got to be racist. Uh, you got to play it up, you know, and, and I'm not racist. You know, I've been around all colors my whole life. I don't, I don't, it's just not me. So I didn't know what to do. So we, something happened. We had our first whites, white meeting, you know, where all the whites gather up in the shower and talk about, you know, who threw a gum wrapper in the fucking urinal or something, you know, something real important. We go in there for my first meeting. It's that night, you know. Um, it was my rep's birthday that when I went in there. It's funny because, you know, it's jail and there's all these scary guys with face tattoos and stuff. And they say, do you like birthday cake? Because we're making a cake for, for Ian's birthday. Yeah, I like cake, you know. So so um, then they got drunk and someone took their pants off or something. So we had to have a meeting. 
And we go into the meeting and I'm like, fuck, this is my first meeting. I really have to prove myself. Jared needs to prove that he is definitely not Jewish. I go in there. I'm like, man, it's it's good to be white, isn't it? You know, we're <laughs> uh, so glad I'm not one of them colored folks. Uh, you know, I say something. I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm like saying like, you know, 1950s terms. I, I just <laughs> I don't know how to authentically be racist. And uh Whew, our blood must be pure, you know, we've got, we got some pure blood, don't we? And uh, John John's like, hey, why don't you calm down? You know, he kind of puts his hand on my shoulder. You know, he extends his swastika tattooed arm onto my shoulder and says, you know, chill out, buddy. You know, it's, it's, it's not, we're not like that in here. John John had swastika tattoos, but he'd uh, be very friendly with, with, with the black community. I can't really explain it, man. He's just a very, he was a nice guy and a very simple guy. I don't think his IQ exceeds three digits i wouldn't you know i, I really wouldn't uh, i'd put money on that uh sweet guy wasn't raised right went to got in the system early probably didn't have a father figure probably juvenile hall, hall real early and wanted to impress the older kids and you know became a quote-unquote skinhead he probably doesn't even you know i'm a history major you know i'm a european his i'm a <laughs> i'm a 19th century germanic history major and i can tell you from a few conversations i had with john john he uh He's not a history buff, <laughs> so I don't, I don't think he really knows a whole lot about his glorious leader, uh, Hitler, I'm referring to. Ian, my rep, his name is Ian, my rep, and John John take me, you know, they pull me aside and they say, you know, we got to go over the, the ground rules of, um, of this dorm. He says, uh, you know, you've been to jail before, you know the rules, I just want to go over them with you again. And, and then I really hadn't been to a dorm yet. I'd been to jail before, but I'd been in like little little cells and stuff like that. This was kind of like, you know, this was a real deal with people that are on trial for murder and stuff. And there's a hundred men in a room and, you know, gang activity and all that. So they say, okay, well, th th this is the deal. Jail involves an amazing amount of rules. You can't share food with blacks. Now you can trade food with blacks, but it has to be in a sealed package, meaning you can trade a, you know, a Rice Krispie bar from commissary, but you can't trade a plate of beans or something. You know, Now the consequence for something like that, breaking that kind of rule, you'd think would be a, a stern talking to, but it's it's actually not. <laughs> it's, a, it's a little bit heavier than that. They take you into the back of the dorm and they have three people from your own race beat the living shit out of you for 23 seconds. That's not a small, you know, that's not a small punishment. That's not something that I want to get myself into, given that I weigh about 120 pounds and uh, my diet has consisted of Shasta Cola and crack cocaine for the past 10 months. I'm not, I'm not exactly, uh, I'm not a mensch at the moment. Now, I was asked to beat the shit out of people in a crew of three against one when other people would break the rules. Well, the first time they asked me to do it, they said, hey, listen, this there was this old white guy. I don't remember his name. He was probably 50 something, very skinny, probably schizophrenic, you know, not in good mental health. And he had shared food with a black guy and gotten caught. So they, since he was kind of old and frail, they had two of us do it. You know, he pulled me out of bed and, and he said, you know, you don't you don't have to do this, but if you don't do it, you're going to go go back there and get the shit beaten out of you for 23 seconds. So, you know, naturally, I, OK, I'll get up and I'll do it and I'll just kind of give him a few light taps in the stomach which I did. So Jared thinks, hey, I did my job. I kicked this guy. I'm good. And then got a verbal threat from Ian, my rep, that, hey, you do any more light taps like that and you're going to switch places with him. Well, me and another guy named Chucky beat the shit out of him in the corner for 23 seconds. Man, it was, it was horrific. I mean, 
he had blood coming out of his face. I mean, we had, he told me, if you don't punch that guy in the face, I'm going to punch you in the face right now. So it's, it's brutal. You know, you're just punching this guy in the face who's older than you, who didn't even literally did not do anything objectively wrong. I mean, he shared food with another human being. It's just that that human being had black skin. After the 23 seconds, you know, you reach your hand out, you help him up, you give him a hug, you bring him to the bathroom, you clean him up, and you're closer. I mean, it's it's weird. You know, it, I'm pretty scrawny, so I'm really trying to avoid any, any of this trouble. 23 seconds is the amount of time that the whites use to base their punishments on, and it's because of the number 23. Every number, name, or phrase in jail has a meaning. W is the 23rd letter in the alphabet, standing for wood, or white, I mean, I don't, you know, I think it stands for wood, but that can be, uh, it could definitely be uh, misinterpreted. I don't, you know, it's it's not good. It's not a good number. So that's why they do it. Now the Southsiders do it for 13 seconds. And I wonder, you know, why do they only get 13 seconds? That's it's like cheating. You know, it's like when you take the SATs and the girl with ADD gets to go in the other room and take it for longer. It's, you know, it's not fair. Uh, and it's because the Southsiders use 13 because... Why do they do it? I think the 13th letter is... What's the 13th letter in the alphabet? M for Mexican Mafia. That's what it is. So that's why they have 13. It's for M, the letter M for the Mexican Mafia. So they get 13 seconds. Now, if they break a bunch of rules, they'll get 26 seconds or 39 seconds. You know, they got to, you know, they got, they're learning arithmetic in there. You know, they, they, they're, they're multiplying. So, um, so yeah, they, they got that system, but you know, it's very easy to break a rule because there's a, there's a thousand rules. You know, you can't wear your shower shoes past this point, but if you don't wear your shower shoes past this point, you're going to get the shit beaten out of you for 23 seconds. And if you take a piss and you don't wash your hands, you get the shit beaten out of you. And if you see someone take a piss and they don't wash their hands and then someone sees you you see them and then you don't tell on them you're getting the shit beaten out of you for 23 seconds if you're barefoot anywhere in the dorm you're getting the shit beaten out of you for 23 seconds so when you take a shower you got to stand on your shoes and transfer your foot one by one into the shower shoe not making contact between your barefoot and the floor at any point if someone sees you do that you're going to get the shit beaten out of you for 23 seconds if you disrespect someone of a different race you might get stabbed i mean let alone getting the shit beaten out of you for 23 seconds and the whole reason why this whole system is in place, I came to uh, realize, is that it's to prevent there to be violence between races. So most of the violence in jail is actually within a race, not between different races. So say I wash my hand, or, or I take a piss and I don't wash my hands and then I touch the sink, or I touch the water fountain, or I touch something, and a Mexican guy sees me do that, he's going to get angry and say, oh, that white boy, is, is he's dirty as fuck, and he's he's... We have to go fuck up the white boys. That's why that rule is there. Now, if a Mexican guy did see me do that, he would go talk to his rep and his rep would talk to my rep and my rep would say, we're going to handle the punishment out of respect for the Mexicans. And that's why most of the violence that will happen in LA County Jail is going to happen from your own race, punishing you out of respect for a different race. Uh, you know, there are race riots, but this system that they have in place, I don't know who designed it, but it, it as frightening as it is, it kind of works. Jared made the smart decision to get to know his rep. I get to know him pretty well as I spend months and months there. And, and I kind of ask him about that and ask him about what his beliefs are. And he says, listen, I don't give a fuck if you share food with black people. I don't care if I share food with black people. I don't hate black people. But if word gets around to other dorms that Ian's letting white boys share food with blacks, Ian's gonna get stabbed. 
Now, so Ian says, the only reason why I enforce rules is so I don't get stabbed. And the guy above me, the only reason why he enforces rules is probably so he doesn't get stabbed. And it, all, it goes all the way to the top, like a ladder until you get to, you know, the guys that really run the show in like San Quentin and everything. These are guys doing life in jail that are kind of like the godfathers. But things start to make sense, even though it's it's still horrific. And it, I mean, it's segregation. It's 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 it gets awkward, you know, because because you become friends. Naturally, I became friends with people that I became friends with that I got along with. And a lot of those people were black and, and a lot of them were Mexican, actually, which I actually got a um, a stern talking to about at one point because they said you're fraternizing with the Southsiders a little too much. Why don't you make friends with a, with a white boy? And it, well, I do have white friends, but I, you know, I like the Mexicans. They, they have better food. I mean, they have better, they have more Fritos to put in the Brahmin. I mean, they just, they, I just liked them better. So th th those are just some of the rules. Jared arrived in jail, a crackhead, and having eaten almost nothing every day. I get fat. I mean, honestly, I'm making a lot of money with the ramens. I'm, I am working out, but I'm really eating a lot of ramens. And, and I'm, I went in at, I, I weighed myself, I weighed 131 about two weeks into being at jail when they weighed me in the medical pod. So I'm assuming I went in at 120. Uh, by the time I left, I weighed 205. Uh, <laughs> so that's 80, that's 85 pounds. I gained 85 pounds in jail. A day is, you know, you wake up, they deliver the, the trustees who are the inmates that work for the, you know, it's like they, it's like the inmates that deliver the food and do the chores and stuff. The whole prison, like basically the inmates run the prison and the guards just kind of oversee. Uh, for lunch, you get the same lunch pretty much every day. You get a bologna sandwich, you get a bag of either Fritos Lay's chips, or occasionally you get these things called smoker snacks. That's what they—that's what they call them in there. But it's really just a bag of um, like seaweed, Asian crackers, and uh, not highly desired. You get a juice, you get an orange juice. You get a bag with two little cookies in it. I think once or twice a week, the grand finale lunch to end all lunches, which is peanut butter and jelly with a banana. That's like. Christmas morning, opening up your presents every like Tuesday and Sunday or something, you get a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. But when I first got there, mind you, I was extremely dope sick. So I was not in the mood to really do anything. I was really curled up in the fetal position on my bunk many days. I'd say the first 20 days of me being in there, it was horrific because I knew that I was going to have to potentially fight if I broke a rule. I mean, when you're dope sick, you're so, you're just, it is the worst pain. Your every joint and your joints that you didn't know existed hurt. Like everything hurts and everything aches. And you feel like if you got punched once in the face, your skull would just shatter. You know, your nerves would, sh would shatter. Um, so I was very scared. And also, you know, you're foggy brained and, and you have to get up every hour and go have diarrhea on a toilet right next to another man sitting on a toilet. Jared told me that basically everyone in there was in there for some sort of drug related crime. For my the uh, five or so months that I was in there, I met one person that wasn't either an alcoholic or an addict, maybe two. I can't even, I, I literally can't remember anybody, but I'm just being safe and guessing. Uh, basically every arrest can be every arrest that I encountered in there between the I probably encountered over a thousand people during my stay uh, was due to alcohol or drugs that's it you know if that wasn't a problem that jail would be empty it's just so yeah I'm, I'm, I'm dope sick and no one really has sympathy for that because everyone's you know 90% of the people that are in there are are meth heads their kick is like I sleep and I get hungry you know my kick is like I'm blasting diarrhea out of my body and 
and vomiting out of my mouth and it's it's a little different and also one of the rules is that you have to work out for one hour every day as a race you know the whites have to we get up and we you know take our shirts off and we work out together the whites have every rule that the mexicans have because the mexicans are basically in charge of us you know we're basically under their wing and under their protection they get into a race riot with the blacks we will back them up because they just outnumber everybody the vast majority of the racial issues in la county jail is between the mexicans and the blacks uh the whites are really like a th in that issue uh obviously there's like racism and things like that and there's skinheads and nazis and stuff but the real racial tension occurs between the mexicans and the blacks and since the whites are under the wing and the protection of the mexicans they sort of get dragged under the arrangement that if the mexicans have a race war with the blacks the whites will back up the mexicans in exchange also for if the whites for some reason get into a racial war with the blacks the mexicans will back up the white it doesn't really matter because no matter what the mexicans are going to win because they just outnumber they're like militant in there i mean it's crazy they're such a well-oiled machine willing to die you know for, for for their race in there it's one race in there and same with the blacks i mean crips and bloods and all that and but in there you're just you're black and you got to stick together and now for the whites more so just middle class suburban kids from san fernando valley that smoke meth i mean it's not really like so much of an organized crime family as like like the mexicans or or the blacks jared's new white friends weren't exactly happy that he was a 120 pound crackhead yeah they're like you're a worthless piece of shit i can't believe you know why can't you do meth like normal people heroin's for losers you get sick i mean they looked down on me for a lot of reasons i i came in there with apps open abscesses all over my body completely emaciated and I'm not exactly like a tough guy. You know, I'm not very authoritative. I'm kind of a laid back person. So I was worried. <laughs> I was I was pretty scared. And then someone named Lou enters the story and Jared's experience in jail is never the same again. I noticed that there was a guy named Lou. Now he was an older white guy. He was probably 55, very short. For jail, he was very old. Diminutive guy, but that people respected. You know, people respected this guy. And he would give me a ton of shit. I mean, he gave me a ton of food when he knew that I was down and out. I'd always see that when lunch would come, he would get a different lunch than everybody. He would get this, you know, we'd get trays of slop and he would get this box, this blue box that was cardboard and he'd open it up and it was sealed. So he had a special diet of some sort. Maybe he was, I thought maybe he's diabetic or something. And, and people would line up and they would buy that lunch from him. It was highly desired. You know, people would give him a soup, a ramen soup is $1. People would give him four soups for, for a lunch or a dinner. And uh, one day I was, you know, throwing my slop in the trash and I saw that blue box in the garbage can that was Lou's special diet lunch. And I saw that it had Hebrew letters on it. You know, I, I can't read Hebrew, but I recognize it and I thought holy shit you know Lou Lou must be Jewish and they must have a special kosher diet or something and they're not beating the shit out of him so it must maybe it's okay to be Jewish but you know I, I had to be safe I really was scared so I went and I in secret went and talked to Lou when he was alone and said hey you know what's that blue lunch that special diet and he said oh that's the kosher lunch and I said oh are you Jewish he said yeah can I tell you something Lou like can you keep a secret because I really don't want this to get out and he said, sure. And I said, I'm, I'm Jewish. Probably the riskiest decision of Jared's life. He's like, well, you should get the kosher diet. And I said, well, I'd, I'd love to, but I kind of, 
implied that I was German when I came into the dorm, you know, when John John asked if I was a purebred. And he said, oh, that's not good because, uh, yeah, being Jewish isn't a problem. They made a deal back in 2012 that as long as you're white, you're white. You know, it doesn't matter if you're Jewish or not. They're, honestly, he said the numbers were so low for the whites that they were basically drafting anybody. And uh, Jews made the draft, I guess. So I said, well, fuck, I'm going to have to go talk to Ian, the rep, and, and come clean and tell him that I've been lying, that I'm actually Jewish. And he said, yeah, I would suggest doing that because then you'll get the kosher meal. They're going to beat the living shit out of you for lying, but it will be worth it because you can sell the kosher meal for three or four soups every day. And I said, well, I guess, you know, I've been working out a little bit. I guess I'll, I'll just have to take the ass beating of my life, basically, for lying. And, and I, I built up the courage. It took me all day. I, I went to Ian, you know, kind of late at night when it was more calm and I could kind of talk to him in private. I said, listen, Ian, I got to tell you something. I'm, I'm Jewish, man. I'm actually half Jewish, you know, if that counts towards anything. So technically, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like half one of you. My, my mo mother is Irish, but my father's Jewish and I was bar mitzvahed and everything. And I just had to come clean, man. I couldn't be living this lie anymore. You know, this man was crazy and could snap at any second and, and um, was one of, literally one of the scariest human beings I've ever encountered, not because of his size, but once again, because of his demeanor. And he just looked at me for about eight seconds and he said, okay, every Tuesday you're going to get me the chicken shawarma. You give me that chicken shawarma once a week, no problems. I'll let you sell the kosher meal, I'll let you do whatever you want. As long as when you do sell the kosher meal, you let the whites have a chance at buying it before the other races. I put in the paperwork, I talked to the house mouse guy who's like the kind of like the HR department of the whites. I got called out to be interviewed by the special diet. Jared readies himself for the interview. It's me and this one black guy. And I'm thinking, okay, this guy, I don't know what, what his plan is. You know, we're sitting there alone waiting to be called. And he said, hey, are you trying to get the kosher meal? And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, that's, you know, that's what I'm here for. And he's like, fuck, man, me too. And I was like, I don't know what kind of chance you're going to have again, it, man. I, I said, are you Jewish? And he says, of course not. I'm not Jewish. And he said, hey, what's Hanukkah? I'll, I'll tell you what Hanukkah is, but I've, I've heard this test is a little bit more, it's a little bit more intermediate than just what's Hanukkah. And I said, you know, why don't you try taking the, um, the Muslim diet test? Because they have a Muslim diet that's actually pretty good and worth some money. And you could probably way easier pass as a Muslim. And, and he was like, I already failed that test. So I'm trying this one. And all I said was, well, there's, you know, there's eight days in Hanukkah. So, you know, good luck, man. And they, they called me in. I can assume that he failed the test. I don't know. You know, it, it was a, it was not an easy test. I mean, they asked me about a lot of holidays and a lot of specific rituals and stuff. I got enough right. I am Jewish. I'm not religious, but I'm trying to turn my life around. I think I'm going to really start dedicating my life to God and get back into this Jewish thing. So, so he let me get that kosher meal. I got approved. A few days later, the kosher meal started coming to me and, you know, people see the box, the gossip around town is that I'm Jewish. You know, I thought I was going to have problems with the, with John John because he was a, he was a neo-Nazi. I mean, he was a proud neo-Nazi and I basically hadn't told him this information. I was lying. To him. So he, uh, he took me aside. I know you're Jewish. I know you lied about it, but all I want to say is, uh, as long as you don't have sex with my sister, man, I'm cool with you. So he explained to me, it's like, it's really more about mixing the races. He just doesn't want me to intermix with his family. Now, what I didn't know about getting the kosher meal was 
you don't just get the kosher meal. You actually have to pretend to be Jewish at some point and a, and a rabbi comes. So the rabbi comes to meet with me and we have to like, talk, you know, I'm, I'm faking this. I'm not, I know who Abraham is. I mean, that I don't really know anything, I, but he just to fit in, I had to appease and I had to lie and had to, well, you know, the reason why Joseph threw his coat, to, you know, taken to Egypt, you know, a lot of Jewish scholars, you know, they do disagree on the true intentions of the Pharaoh, but you know, and I would just have to bullshit. So Jared becomes the jail's expert on Judaism. Being religiously Jewish, so yeah, so he he's like, well, here's your, you know, here's your book of prayers. We're gonna do a prayer right now. Uh, here's your yarmulke. And at that point, I was like, I can't even. I'm gonna have to sneak this yarmulke in because that's gonna piss people off. I mean, you know, John John wasn't thrilled that I was Jewish, but with the yarmulke, I didn't know how he was gonna react. So I, I wasn't really keen on on bringing that yarmulke back to my dorm. But well, I wasn't gonna throw it away either. So I did bring it back. In jail, gambling is a big part of the day-to-day -day life. I was gambling pretty heavily and, and, and winning well. You know, John John came to me one time and said, listen, can I wear the yarmulke for good luck when I'm gambling? And I, I was like, come on, man, you can't, you know, you have a swastika tattoo on your arm. And he's like, no, no, it's not out of, it's out of respect. Like I respect, you got to understand people that are racist towards Jewish people or these Nazis. It's not that they so much hate them. It's that they fear them. They almost view them as like a magical entity with evil powers. When people found out I was Jewish, it was like I was looked at completely different and people would come to me with their paperwork and ask me about their cases and like, can you help me with my case? I know you're Jewish. You know, I know Jews are good with money. Maybe if I wear the yarmulke, I'll he was losing a lot of money gambling. He's like, maybe I'll have better luck with the gambling. He was like, I'll, I promise I'll respect it. I won't, you know, I'll put it on my head. I'll use it. And I said, fuck it, man. John, yeah, John, John T, you can, you can take my yarmulke. You can wear it when you gamble. And I'll tell you one of the most important images that's ever occurred in my memory one of the uh, the high, really the highlight of my life was witnessing extremely large neo-Nazi with tattoos all over his body, including swastikas, wearing a yarmulke, throwing dice in a jail dorm in LA County Jail. I've never wished I had a camera more than that moment. In episode one, Jared lost his money. In episode two, Jared lost his freedom. And coming up in the final episode three, he starts losing body parts. When you lose your legs in war, you're considered a hero, as you should, because you did something incredibly brave and you lost your limbs as a result. But when you eat part of your face off in a meth and heroin-induced blackout, you don't exactly get a Purple Heart medal. This has been Highly Unlikely. I'm Jonathan Flannis. Tune in for next week's shocking conclusion to the Jared Saga. I think you won't want to miss it, and stay safe out there.